I'm going to get started. First of all, I'm going to pray a blessing on myself. Lord Jesus, please help me this morning uh, to, to be able to speak your words. Lord, to be able to, um, to say the things that you want me to say, Lord Jesus. Um, I pray you bless me. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. Oh, man. It's, I feel well, it's so, so amazing. Hey, thanks, uh, Caleb, for um, leading that prayer. I feel, if, you know how... It just feels like a, such a, a such a weird sort of thing, like praying praying for like persecuted brothers and sisters or, or people that are facing martyrdom for the faith, and it kind of feels like we're we're praying for these for these ones that are almost like like heroes, eh? And it kind of feels like you know what what am what am I facing uh, compared to what they're facing? And um, man, it shifts my perspective so much. Um, yeah, I think that yeah, it's amazing. So thanks, Caleb. Anyway, it's good to be at Chess Club. <coughs> I was a bit rubbish at it. Nicholas was good. Anyway, what am I talking about? Um, some of you know that I, I, I ride my bike to work um, as, as often as I can. I try to ride my bike, and, and one of my main motivations is actually uh, is, is not enjoyment. Um, it's money. Because uh, uh, every time I ride my bike, it means I don't have to catch the train, so that means that I save about $4.20. And um, this, so this year I set myself some targets, and the first target was I was um, I thought uh, if I ride my bike um, as often as I can, then I'll save $800, which seemed pretty sweet. Anyway, I smashed that target a couple of months ago. So then I was like, okay, I've got a new target, $1,000. Smashed that target this week. Doing all right, doing all right. And so then I thought, oh, what can my new target be? And I thought, oh, rather than having a financial target, I'm going for distance now. I'm going for distance. And my new target is to ride 4,000 kilometres this year by commuting. I was really stoked um, a few month, couple of months ago. I'd, I'd hit the 2,500 kilometres mark. And so I was like, how far does that get you? And I, so I Googled it, and it gets you from about Wellington to um, Brisbane. So if I just, yeah, I would be somewhere nice. I just <laughs> run over the oceans. Anyway, so like some days you ride your bike in and, and it's easy, but being Wellington, um, quite a few days there's a strong headwind and, it, and it's exhausting. Uh, and it felt like this week, every time I got on my bike, the, the wind's been changing every day and it felt like every ride into town was a, was a headwind. I was getting so frustrated. But then you get, some days you get those tailwinds, eh, Kirk? You get those tailwinds and I was like, man, it feels like you're flying, like that you're just flying up State Highway 2, uh, and I get home and I tell Tess how fast I've gone, and she's not impressed. <laughs> it's pretty safe. Yeah. Rel- no. Anyway. <clears throat> um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Anyway, when you've got a nice strong wind behind you, it feels like you're flying. And one of the pictures of, in the, one of the pictures in the Bible of the Holy Spirit is of wind. In Acts 2, uh, the, the followers of Jesus, about 120 of them, were in the upper room. And it, and it says that they were waiting, they were waiting just like Jesus told them to. And then there's a sound from heaven, like the sound of a violent rushing wind, like the sound of a, of a southerly coming from Antarctica. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And also in John, John 3, 8, there's a verse where it says, the, the, wind, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not wear it. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is for everyone who is born of the Spirit. Like when God moves, when God moves on a people, on a church, on a generation, it's 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 like a tailwind. 
the Lord moves and it's lead, he's lead, he leads and he guides and he drives and he inspires and he transforms and it's life-giving. But that doesn't mean that there's no headwind. It doesn't mean that there's no opposition or persecution, suffering. Actually, sometimes those things, sometimes those things are, are a consequence of what God is doing, a consequence of the word of God in our, in our world. And, and, yet, and yet we desire the kingdom of God to come. We desire, we desire for it. We want, we want it to advance. We want the God King's, God's kingdom to advance, but if you're like me, you just want it to look a bit different or you want it to be a bit easier. We want, we want for everyone who hears about Jesus to believe, to believe in him and put their faith in him, to follow him. We want for everyone who we pray for to be healed. We want for every kind of injustice and evil to be, to be thrown down, taken down. And when it doesn't look the way we want, we go, God, are you even here? Are you doing anything? Or is your kingdom, is your kingdom advancing or did it get st stuck somewhere like back in 1995? When, the, when there's a whole lot of stuff going on. In, in, the middle, in the middle of the book of Matthew, Jesus, he's been talking to big crowds, and they've had these massive expectations of what it was all going to look like when God's kingdom came. And in, in their narrative, God would swoop in in power. He'd, be, he'd overthrow oppression. He'd overthrow evil and injustice. He'd overthrow sickness and sin. And he'd reign, and it'd be he'd reign. It'd be obvious who was the king. Jesus would be the God would be the king. They probably didn't know didn't know about Jesus. God would be the king. It'd be obvious. He'd reign in absolute authority. And these expect, these expectations they didn't come out of nowhere. They all quite often in the Old Testament it talks about these kind of things. But how it happens, how this was going to take place, well, that's something else. That's something else entirely. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been looking at chapter, we finally made it all year, we've been going through Matthew, <laughs> and we finally made it to chapter 11, and then last week uh, into, into chapter 12, and in these chapters we see Jesus, he's doing the stuff, like Jesus, the Son of God, he's telling people about the kingdom of God, he's healing people, he's setting people free, people are gathering around him, wanting to hear more. They're discovering more about who he is. And as they discover more of who he is, they're discovering more about who God is, which all sounds pretty great. But at the same time, there's, there's opposition. You really see in the Gospels, there's pushing back. Pushing back from people, pushing back from the enemy. There's the Pharisees, they push back on him. Maybe Jesus' family pushed back on him. This is what's going on. So now we're finally almost at the halfway point of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. And it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, Listen, listen guys, listen close. A soul went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came up and ate them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. It says, 
Right here, Jesus told them many things in parables. One of my heroes is a guy called uh, Alan Scott. He's a Scotsman who uh, was pastoring a church in Ireland, and now he's um, pastoring a church in California, uh, a vineyard church over there. Actually, the, the mothership, Anaheim Vineyard. Um, and he says, a parable is a subversive, authentic narrative that's thrown down alongside a false prevailing narrative. Oh, that's quite cool, you know, par- parable, parallel lines, all that kind of thing. I'll say it again. A parable is a subversive, authentic narrative thrown down alongside a false prevailing narrative. So I've got to give credit to Alan Scott because I've been copying him. I'm sorry, I'm drawing on him a lot this morning. And he preached a series called The Ripple Effect in, in July and August. And it's all about moves of God. And he, and he emphasizes that this parable, this subversive, authentic narrative is about, is about move, the move of God, a move of God. He says that the false prevailing narrative was that God would move and all they'd need to do, all the, all, uh, the Israelites at the time would need to do was sit back and enjoy it. But Jesus in these parables shows that's not the way it works, guys. It's not the way it works. Even if we really, 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 really want it to. Even if we pray really, 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 really hard. These subversive stories, they're not, sim- they're not simply children's stories. They are powerful insights that realign our understanding of who God is and the way that God works. And then it says, The disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an, they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. What does this all mean? It sounds like Jesus is saying that he's speaking in parables so that some will understand, but others won't. But surely that's not how it works. Surely that's not the kingdom. Surely everyone who hears should understand. Surely everyone who hears should understand, perceive, believe, and be healed. Surely that's the kingdom way. Especially if they're hearing from Jesus himself. Jesus, Son of God. God in the flesh. God incarnate. Jesus says that's not how it works. And then he goes on to explain the parable of the sower. He goes, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word. It yields nothing. 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another case sixty, another case thirty. Jesus, you're so good. His, Jesus' words are the words of God. Let's go through it. One, there's a farmer. The farmer, the sower who goes out to sow seed. The farmer's God. Let's just get that out of the way. The farmer's God. And he's sowing the seeds, words of the kingdom. And he's sowing it into people's hearts. And it's like, oh, sorry, it's, it's all the farmer's initiative. He's the one that's gone out with his bag full of seeds and, and is throwing it out. It's all his initiative. It's all his initiative. A move of God is not our initiative. It's all from the farmer. Caleb said that it was up to me to bring the Spirit of God. <laughs> yeah, he knows. He knows that's not true. Because it's God. <laughs> the Spirit comes from God. I'm so relieved about that. Man, I'd stuff it up every time. I'd say something stupid. I'd make a dumb joke and, and then God wouldn't come. No, that's not how it works. The farmer goes out to sow the seed. He sows the word of God. And I love this. The farmer's sowing out seed into the soil, and this connects us back to the Genesis, Genesis narrative, when God created humankind, and he created humankind in his image. And what he did is he, he got a bit of dust from the ground, and he, and he molded it, and then he breathes God himself breathing into this dust. Man, breathing in, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And here God is the farm, he's throwing seeds out into, into the soil, into our hearts. So one, the farmer, the farmer's God. It's his initiative. Two, he throws the seeds all over the place. Paths, rocky ground, thorny places, good soil. He's, he's throwing it, it's like he doesn't care where it lands. He, 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 throws, he, throws, he throws the seeds into places where it's going to do well. Like it's going to do well, probably, if it lands in some, in some soil. It's probably going to do well. It's probably not going to do so well if it lands on the concrete footpath. Although seeds are amazing. Like I've had to clean my gutters out kind of recently. And uh, like they're, they're, the guttering's quite new. It's only about two years old. And already there was grass growing in the gutter. I go, isn't that amazing? How did the grass end up on the roof? And find a place to um, to sprout. I felt a bit I felt a bit guilty pulling it out, but I did. Anyway, the farm he throws it all over the over the place. The seeds are scattered far and wide. Everybody gets invited. The word of the kingdom it lands in people's hearts all over the place. The good, the bad, and even in Dave Moody's case, the ugly. Oh, sorry. It's only because you're right there. He's actually really handsome. His brother's a model, eh? Hey, Dave. Still? Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say he's right there. He's my brother-in-law, in case you don't know. And um, and he and he's quite intimidating with his good looks. So that's why I'm him and Caleb, eh? <laughs> um. Just it around. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else want to sit in the front row? Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're here, Dad. 
Everybody gets invited. Everybody gets invited. But in this parable, not everybody gets it. And somehow that's okay. Somehow we have to be okay with that. And I think that's what the, that's what the Isaiah quote that Jesus, that Jesus said was getting at. Where it says, You will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. Some get it and some don't. Somehow we have to be okay with that. <clears throat> Three. Some seed lands in rocky places. Some seed lands in thorny places. It's received initially with joy, but the seed doesn't take root. Well, the roots don't go deep. It's not well established. So then opposition comes along. The tension comes along. The troubles come along. The persecution comes along. These are headwinds. These are headwinds. I've been thinking about that heaps when I've been riding home this week. These are headwinds that come along. And, and people fall away. Persecution comes because of the word. Uh, this morning, we prayed for the persecuted church. Oh, man, talk about a headwind. That's one. And there are brothers and sisters, these heroes around the world, uh, facing suffering, torture, death, because of what's been sown in their hearts, the word, of, the word of the kingdom that's been sown in their hearts. The seed, the seed, this word of the kingdom, it's got enemies who want to push back against the move of God. I think this part of the parable addresses a false narrative that we can get sucked into. By us, I mean um, Christians in, in this culture, our culture. The false narrative that we can buy into is that we invite Jesus into our life and it's all about our life getting better. Now it's going to be easy. Now it's going to be good. And it becomes a bit about feeling good. But Jesus says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world. And the law of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. I read this, I go, oh, that hurts. That hurts me, God. You know, in Revelation, it talks about Jesus and he's got the, the sword coming out of his mouth, the two-edged sword. Hey, I read these words of Jesus and it feels like that two-edged sword coming into me. The false narrative is that it's all about you or it's all about me. But the authentic narrative is, is that it's about laying down our lives for, the, for God's kingdom. Oh, man. And the, the final point. In the parable, Jesus says, Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then he says to the uh, disciples later on, to you, has been, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. So I'll say that again. In the parable, he goes, Seeds fell on good soil, brings forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then he goes, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. For those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. And it speaks about the reproducible power, the reproducible power of, a, of a, even a single life. And we can see this all throughout history. There's so many people, there's so many people whose lives, whose lives demonstrate this. People, followers of Jesus, and they laid down their lives, and there's been remarkable uh, or, or miraculous fruit, really incredible. Sometimes it's only after they've actually, after they've died, that you actually hear about the fruit of their lives. And in, in his talk that I'm plagiarizing this morning, Alan Scott talked, um, he talked quite a lot about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham came from quite humble beginnings. 
But he's credited with leading 3.2 million people to faith. Oh, that's mind-blowing stuff. 3.2 million. And it all began in these uh, meetings that they had. Uh, there's some quite cool photos that you can find, um, find on the internet. They had these meetings in Los Angeles in parking lots, and they put up these big tents. And they were going to run some meetings for a few weeks. Ended up having to run it for much, much longer. Because so many people were coming. So many people were coming to hear about Jesus. And that began 70 years ago this year, September and October, 1949. And I reckon that what he did actually led to pretty, pretty uh, massive changes that we, uh, that we are still um, somehow standing on today. But thousands of years before Billy Graham, there was Jesus. And he spoke to many people. He spoke to big crowds of people. He fed 5,000 people, you know. And many people heard him, and they heard the word of the kingdom. And some of those people believed what they heard. Not all. Some of them heard what they believed. Some of those that believed fell away. They gave up when Jesus, they gave up on Jesus when it got tough. And headwinds came, and man, they were tough. Jesus gets arrested. He got tried. He got found guilty. He was tortured. He was executed. And some of his closest followers, you know, the 12 apostles, some of his closest buddies, they fell away. You know, Judas, he's well known. He betrayed Jesus. Peter, he was great friends with Jesus, and he denied his relationship with Jesus. See, I don't even know him. And later on, after Jesus had, had uh, he'd been re- he'd resurrected, he'd come back to life, and he'd ascended, ascended back, to, um, back to be with God, and we find 120 of Jesus' followers gathered in their upper room. <laughs> so Jesus, the Son of God, he knows all sorts of things. He's a genius. He, he heals people. He sets people free from demons. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching about the kingdom. People flocking to hear him. After three years of God walking earth, there's only 120 people. 120 people in that upper room. And yet, when there's a move of God, when the Holy Spirit blows, when the Holy Spirit wind blows, 120 people surrendered to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. That was what was needed. That was what was needed for the church to explode from that upper room, level 2, 147 Thorn and Key, out onto the streets of Wellington and to change the world as we know it. 120 people. And the authentic narrative that this parable shows us is that, is that there's, there's a small one that's sometimes hidden. There's, there's a seed sometimes hidden. This movement upon the earth. And it, and it sometimes gradually sprouts up in the hearts of people to bring change. We want to be, I shouldn't say we, I speak for myself, but I'm sure some of you will agree. I want to be a person that is ready and willing when God moves. And the amazing thing is, so I've been a pastor of this church now for one year and two and a bit months. Three months. <laughs> a long, long time, I tell you. Anyway, and I'm a pretty young man. I know, I'm, I'm 42. And so, anyway... Mum and Dad started this, started this church. They planted this church uh, almost 25 years ago. And Mum and Dad's story is one of moves of the Holy Spirit. They knew Jesus. 
they'd come to faith, um, dad as a teenager and, and mum as a mum as a bit younger. But then the Holy Spirit blew upon the church, especially in the in the eighties and the nineties. Incredible things happened. And and they were transformed in these moves of God, as were many, many others. People encountered the presence of God in crazy ways, like a lot of you would have seen, well, you would have seen what was going on. Mighty ways. Oh, the things I saw, it blew my mind. And I was, as I say, I'm quite young now, but I was even younger then. And oh, I wish I was a little bit older, to be honest, because I saw these things and I didn't, re- I didn't really get it. I thought it was cool, but I didn't really get it. But I witnessed people whose lives were, were so transformed, utterly transformed. Man, it was amazing. Addictions, you know, fell away. Things that people had, had clung on to fell away. And the, the word of the kingdom was planted in their hearts. And, and many of those people have had really fruitful lives ever since. Like, like we are all here today because of, of that move of God on mum and dad. Where would it be? Man, I'll probably hit Poirot Elam. That's a good church. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I met some people before who are from Poirot Elam. Um, the word of kingdom, the word of the kingdom planted in their hearts, and the fruit, it's about the fruit. And we sung that song this morning, God of our mothers and fathers. And it goes, God of our mothers and fathers, show your glory to our sons and daughters. To me and you and our kids. What you were back then, back in 1995 and in the mid-80s, come and be again. We want to see your power in our presence. In our time, in our day, come and move in this place, Lord. Come and move, God, in this place. <laughs> oh, I really like this song. And I'd sing it all the, sing it all the time if I could. And then there's this, all this tension because, like I was saying before, it's all God's initiative. We can't make God move. We can't make the farmer go out sowing seed. It's all the initiative of the farmer, of God. And yet we cry out. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We can't make him move, but we want to be ready. We want to be ready when he does. We want to be ready when he does. When that tailwind blows and it feels like flying. When I'm grinding up South, up State Highway 2 and it's a northerly, imagine if all of a sudden it goes southerly and I'm away like a rocket. And the, and the picture I get, I oh, know it's a bit cliche, but the picture I've been getting as I've been thinking about that, this is off a, off a sailboat, like a yacht on Wellington Harbour. On one of those rear windless days, it was kind of a little bit like that, we sit afternoon, not much wind. And the sailors watching for signs, watching for the signs, the ripples over the surface of the ocean. Signs that wind, and maybe it's only a breeze or a zephyr to start with, but signs that the wind is coming. And then the mighty wind comes, and, and um, John would be able to explain this much better, but, but imagine it's like flying over the seas. And the yacht's really just doing its best to keep up with the wind. Tailwinds and headwinds. Tailwinds and headwinds. And we want to be a people that are ready Willing when God moves. And that's what I've got today. At the at the end of Revelation, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let, and let the one who hears say, Come. 
Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Man, we want the Lord to come. Like we desire for this day when, like that day is coming when, when the Lord's going to return and it's going to be incredible and everybody's going to know and every knee's going to bow and everything like that. It's going to happen. Until that day, there's going to be moves of God across across the waters, right? Across across our world. And, I, and I've been hearing so much stuff recently that people are saying, there's a move coming. There's a move coming. There's a move coming on this generation. And when I'm talking about generation, I'm not talking about just people of a certain age. The, a generation of every person that's alive today, a mighty move of God. And people are saying it. And part of me going, part of me, part of me is saying, "Oh, I've heard all that before." But maybe these are, maybe there's ripples on the ocean. Maybe these are the ripples, the signs. And Helen Scott, he goes, "Just need one. You just need one." Because of the, in that parable, it talks about the the reproducibility of a single life. Just need one. Just need one person healed of cancer, and then we can see it. We've got faith that God's going to heal people of cancer. Just need one person healed, healed of, of a chronic lung disease, and then we know. And God will, it, it grows, it grows and grows and grows. And that's why, that's why if, like, as often as we can, we need to sort of make ourselves available to what God is doing. Like we'll, when I've finished, We'll make the space available to be able to pray for one another and, and to invite God to move in, 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 in lives and um, to see people healed and, and set free. God does that kind of thing. And we'll be sort of ready and available for that to happen. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for your words. Hey, why don't you stand for a second? Um, I'll pray. And we'll wait, just wait on the Lord for a, for a few moments, hey? Let's just be, let's just be open to him. Be open to what he's what he's planting in our hearts this morning. You can just relax. You don't have to do anything crazy, but you might want to sort of adopt the posture of going, God, what you have for me, I, I want to receive today. So for some people, that looks like putting out your hands. Sometimes it doesn't. It's not a. It's not about. It's not about appearance, but it's about responding to what God, God's doing, what God's prompting. So, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your words this morning. We thank you that even in this, it sometimes seems simple, but even in this parable, there's, there's an incredible depth to it. Your words, Lord, your words, Lord Jesus, are the words of life. Your words, are Lord, uh, are the words of freedom. Lord, help us to be a people that hear these words and that these words come into our hearts that we can have confidence and trust in you and have, have, to believe in you more and more. So come Holy Spirit. Lord, we wait on you. We can't, we can't force your hand, but we can, be, we can wait. We can respond to what you're doing. So Lord, in this, in this time and in this place, in this room, this morning, would you visit us?